Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 112, week 112, volume 112, number fucking 112. Hey, going, guys? How's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Lauren of Sharptooth, and that will be coming up later in the show. Let's kick things off with single of the week, and it comes from Aussie Boys Justice for the Damned. The new track is titled The House You Built is Burning, which is the second single from their forthcoming album Power is Pain, which sees its release May 8th. This band, I think, need everyone's attention. They're a band that can't put a foot wrong. They have matured and grown to become an unstoppable force that you can definitely hear on this track. This song, simply put, is yes. Absolutely yes. Every bit of it, yes. I really recommend you give this single a go, and when the album comes out, definitely get your hands on it and get your ear holes around it. The single's called The House You Built Is Burning. The album is Pain Is Power. Comes out May 8th, and it's by Justice For The Damned. Now while you're into that this week, make sure you go back and listen to our chat with Bobak, the vocalist of the band, if you haven't already. That was episode 20. Album of the week comes from August Burns Red. It's their new release, it's titled Guardians, and it's out now on Fearless Records. These guys are the metalcore veterans, and this is their ninth album. Surprisingly, this deep into their discography, the band still sound as vital, solid, and fierce as ever. Full of everything you want and need from a metalcore album, crunching riffs, big breakdowns, and lyrics that stick in your brain for days. So if you like your metalcore, make sure you get into this. It's called Guardians, and it's by August Burns Red. Let's move into feedback, questions, what's been going on. Not a lot's been going on, but I have to mention and give a big shout out and a lot of love to Jay Tinder, Austin and David for their reviews and shares that they gave the show this week. We noticed it, we appreciate it. And especially you, David, we notice it every week. Thank you as always. Everyone else listening, if you haven't yet given us a rating and review on iTunes podcasts or Facebook, help us out. Give us a rating and review. Also, if you've got some time this week, guys, help us out with a share of the podcast. It sounds simple, but it's invaluable. Share it on your Facebook, your Instagram or your Twitter. Every little bit that you guys do to help the show, we notice, we appreciate, and we're eternally grateful for. Enough of the ramblings, let's get into the main part of the show. This week, I got to sit down and chat with Lauren of Sharptooth. First thing I gotta say, thank you so very, very, very much, Lauren, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So if you're unaware of who Sharptooth are, Lauren joined the band around 2014. They've done an EP and an album, and there is a second album on the way very soon. Lauren and Sharptooth provide a vital message that's needed within the hardcore community, 
and this conversation was important and needed for the podcast, not only for myself, but for all of you guys listening. I love this chat. It's turned into one of my favorites I've done, and I hope you love it too. That chat with Lauren is coming up now. So I always start off with, for everyone, kind of the same question, and that is, do you remember a band or an artist that wasn't necessarily heavy, but when you heard it as a a young kid, that kind of opened your world to music existing? So example for me is I remember at the age of five or six, I heard Aerosmith and then I became addicted. So was there a band for you (laughs) growing up that did something like that? Um, It wasn't. Honest, it, it's. I feel like my musical journey is a strange one. Um, my background in music um, was mostly in musical theater. Um, when until, I mean, and I I did musical theater like starting at age eleven, um, all the way through high school, and I went to like a performing arts school um, for musical theater and opera. Uh, but like, <laughs> like before that. I was super into, um, like just like nineties rap because it was the nineties and that was when some of like the best hip hop and R and B was, was absolutely huge. And I obviously didn't have any concept of that at the time, but was a huge fan of Will Smith, um, Puff Daddy, um, Notorious B.I.G. That was like, that was my shit when I was like, eight or like between the ages of like eight to 10, I like just, I wanted to grow up to be Will Smith. That was like totally a thing. (laughs) (laughs) So I can, uh, I still know every single word to almost every single one of Will Smith's greatest hits. I was actually in an Uber a couple, a couple weeks ago and getting jiggy with it came on and our Uber driver absolutely lost his fucking mind because I did the whole song. <laughs> I was like, you want to see a flex right now? <laughs> he was losing his shit. It was hilarious. <laughs> but that was when that was when it was Will Smith and Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, wasn't it? Or something like that? Yeah, that was like right after like Summertime came out and mm-hmm. then he put out Big Willie Style and I knew like every fucking word off of Big Willie style. Uh, it was my record. I had it in, I had a little CD and I had my boom box. And that was when I like started getting like into music because like I had liked, you know, the normal nineties fair that every like nineties young girl listens to. Like I loved like the Backstreet Boys and the Spice Girls and Hanson and all that, like, you know, as was required. Um, but my niche thing that like I was into that my friends weren't necessarily into, but like I was obsessed with was, was hip hop and rap. So, so, I mean, where's your, where's your journey going with music? Because you said you're kind of at school for performing arts. So music is obviously a big thing from you for you from an early age. So, um, what, drove you into going into performing arts or was it something that you kind of didn't have a choice and you were kind of told to go into performing arts? Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting question. I, I loved, I always like loved singing when I was a kid. Um, I didn't like, I would just like sing by myself all the time. That was just a thing. I like sing along to stuff on the radio, like by myself. (laughs) Um, when I got into middle school, um, was when it was brought to my, was like, I was in chorus 
And so that's when it was brought to my attention that I had some kind of capability with singing. It wasn't just a thing that I liked. People were like, you're good. So you're going to sing these parts in <laughs> like in the choral arrangement. You're going to have this solo. And uh, so that was when I was like, oh, this is a thing that I am that like I a enjoy and B am good at. So I just kind of took that and ran with it. And I've I'm very melodramatic. And I think that's probably why I've always loved um like the emotional intensity and breadth of musical theater. So that like became just my thing. There was definitely some, definitely a lot of push like from my mother. That was totally a thing, but like I never really at any point felt like I, like that was the thing that was like, I was made to do. Um, I very, very much loved it. And so, yeah, I started taking like private lessons with a private teacher when I was around 12. And then I went to a high school where I studied like performing arts. And so that was just like always a thing for me growing up was singing. So, so was, you know, was music in the household? Like, did anyone play instruments? I mean, your mum's, you know, kind of trying to guide you towards this thing. So was music a thing for the family? Like, not so much. I'm definitely, like, I mean, my mom, like, was always, like, artsy. Um, She was into, like, painting and, like, fine arts and, like, drawing. Like, that was her thing. My my parents aren't, like, super music people. Um, Except for, like, the two things that, like, I got from them, like, growing up were, like, my mom's love of musical theater and we had season tickets for like 10 years or something ridiculous to uh, the big theater in Baltimore called the Hippodrome Theater. So we would go like usually once a month um, to the Hippodrome together on Sundays. Uh, my mom and I would go and we would see whatever the musical was that was coming through. Uh, so we did that for like most of my youth. I would get to go and see like a, a live show like that pretty much every month. Um, my dad, on the other hand, um, he, like, ever since we were kids, like, he, Queen is, like, one of his favorite artists, um, which I'm, I love Queen, so I don't know if it's because of my dad or just because objectively Queen is fucking amazing, um, but we would listen to Queen in the car and we, like, would sing all the lyrics to, like, Bohemian Rhapsody, like, ever since I was, like, a kid, so, and we would all scream the Mamma Mia part. <laughs> in Bohemian Rhapsody, my brother and I, <laughs> as loud as we could <laughs> when it got to that part of the song, we're in the backseat, like, screaming it. <laughs> so that was a thing. <laughs> so you're, you're in school, you're doing performing arts, uh, you're doing singing lessons. Um, do you remember a moment uh, at all, or was there a moment at all, where things started switching from 90s music and 90s hip-hop to more um, guitar driven or heavy stuff. Was there a moment, was it in high school or was it other after high school that you switched into a heavier style? Uh, see, I started listening to like, like emo and stuff. Same as like a lot of like kids in high school, especially like I went to art school. So like the norm was like being a counterculture and punk like that was very much like the yeah it was totally a thing fucking artsy kids everyone it's like either you're like a punk or a hipster or an emo kid or like a goth kid or whatever or like we had there were a couple furries running around too but like uh 
we yeah so like it was normal to be like alternative or counterculture in my school it was like way weirder to be uh like kind of like the classic idea of what like you know like trendy or like like I don't know whatever the quote-unquote popular kids were at like a lot of schools would have been considered strange at my school (laughs) so so you're getting into emo um oh yeah and are we talking uh, My Chemical Romance, The Used, and was, you know, personally speaking, and I know a lot of our listeners are the same, there's usually a reason for a lot of people that you start getting into alternative music, and it might be because you feel an outsider, you might feel you're not understood, you might feel you're not represented. Um, was there a reason you started getting into, you know, counterculture music? Um. I guess, like, A, A was that, like, that was the stuff that, like, all my new friends in high school, like, were listening to and showing me. And then B, like, the content of the music was actually representative of a lot of the feelings that I had at the time um, as an angsty teenager. So, yeah, I feel like there are very few teenagers on this planet who would listen to, like, Tell All Your Friends by Taking Back Sunday and not relate to it. Because, yeah, when you're fucking between the ages of like 14 and 17 everything on there it's like this is my life so (laughs) and i'd make you know hadn't really heard that in other kinds of music before it was to me though it really wasn't that the feeling of it wasn't that different than the feeling that i got from like musical theater because it's just like putting into words and into song a lot of like the intense feelings that i had and previously like a lot of those intense feelings don't really get visited in a lot of like older pop music, but if you if you are into musical theater, you know that shit is melodramatic as fuck. So um, it really, honestly, wasn't that big of a jump for me. Um, it just the sound was different, but a lot of the content was actually the same. Um, so I mean, you're you're in high school, and you know, obviously looking to go down your next path, whatever that was going to be at the time was music the only path you were thinking of or were there other paths that you were going to pursue um my original like game plan was to go to college for theater um there (laughs) i graduated high school and uh life took a detour because i lived in a cult for a year um that's a whole other story (laughs) that's a whole other that's a Thanks. story unto itself. I loved how you just like, yeah, I just lived in a cult. It's just, yep, yep. It, yeah, I, it's like, it's funny because like up until like a couple of years ago, I hadn't like talked about that with like a lot of people. Like, I mean, like everybody, like my close friends like knew, but like literally I only really started talking about it. Like even to my friends, like maybe like seven, six or seven years ago. And then, you know, you, you know, get in a band and people start giving a shit about your band and people do interviews and they want to like know about like, what was your youth like? And it's like, well, I guess I gotta, guess I gotta talk about this because it's kind of important. Um, kind of explains a lot of shit, but, uh, so yeah, long story short, I lived in a, in a very abusive, um, cult for over a year. Uh, and it's funny because, I missed a lot of the music that came out that year. So like there are a lot of bands that like people will be like, Oh, you were into like, I don't know, whatever they, they use my chemical romance. You didn't listen to 
this band or this record? And I'm like, well, when did it come out? And they'll be like, uh, end of 2007 or 2008. I'm like, oh, that's why I didn't exist for that year. I was just, I didn't exist. Um, I was essentially dead to the outside world. Um, I had no contact with virtually anybody outside of this place except for my parents. And the only time I ever got to talk to them was when I was on the phone with them with like one of the counselors there quote-unquote counselors what what what, like curveball um (laughs) you know you you do you do your research and you look into things but i don't think i was expecting this part so i'm actually a bit intrigued so i know you you're like oh i don't really talk about it much earlier you have to for listeners because they're going to be like well she mentioned cult and you're not going to ask anything about it so i've got to ask um yeah what the hell Um, was it how did you suddenly get into one and how did you get out of it? Uh, I guess the, the, the Cliff's Notes version of the cult thing um, was I went there because I had uh, like behavioral and like drug and alcohol abuse problems uh, like my senior year of high school um, that I think actually were way blown out of proportion by uh, the people who were around me who didn't know how to deal with a norm with a teenager doing normal teenager behavior, mm-hmm. um, which is totally a thing that happens. And, uh, so yeah, you know, parents don't, they're like, parents have a somewhat warped view of like normal drug and alcohol use to begin with. And then it's like, you know, when you're like a teenager and like going to parties and doing like party stuff, um, <laughs> getting into trouble for doing those normal things and then you feel like you need to hide when you want to do those normal things and that's just like basically where the spiral starts and yeah long story short uh you know I also like had some pretty significant like depression and um like trauma related issues as a teenager that were not dealt with in any kind of a responsible way um and so all of those things kind of combined with teenage angst, um, resulted in my parents looking for like treatment centers, like for me. And they knew someone who had been to this place, but this was not like a normal fucking place. And so, yeah, so I was there for 14 months and the way long, I really don't want to get into details about Mm. like everything that went on there. Um, I still have PTSD from everything that went on there. Um, um, but yeah, they did fucked up shit to people and brainwashed a lot of people and like ruined a lot of people's lives. I got out because I, so you couldn't have, like, I had no access to like outside information or a computer for a year until they put me in a quote unquote work situation, um, where I did have access to a computer for the first time in 12 months. And I don't know what possessed me me to do it but I just literally typed into like the search engine I don't even know that it was Google then because this was 2007 but I typed into the search engine the name of the place and one of the first things that came up was a website that was a cult recovery forum Mm -hmm. for people who had been there and I like looked at that and I was like oh fuck I'm not crazy (laughs) I need to get the fuck out of here so I stopped taking the medications that they had put me on that I should not have been on um, for things that they told me I had that I don't have. Um, 
and they would do that to most of the patients to keep them like compliant. Um, so I stopped taking all my medications and I basically started, um, it's like a weird, it's a weird structure of a place. Uh, so it's kind of hard to like explain some of these things without that context. Um, but you basically were made to live with members of the quote unquote community. You didn't like live at like a treatment center, like a normal fucking place. Um, so like you live with members of the community and then they would take you to this facility in the morning and then everybody basically would like split up and go to like their respective things for the day. Sometimes like for some people that was school and, but you didn't go to school. You went to a building across the street where you did like online work because you're not allowed to interact with anybody who isn't in the, in the cult. Um, or you went to a job and the only jobs that there were were jobs that were run by people and entirely staffed by people in the cult. Um, so Fuck when they would take me yeah uh it's it's fucked um if you want to google it feel free it's called choices counseling center there are some uh there's a lot of people um that i mean there's a few people out there you can probably find that forum too honestly if you look it up um but it was in it was in winter park florida if anyone wants to fucking check that shit out and um so i just started they would take me to like the the center to like go out to my, whatever my thing was supposed to be that day. And I just started refusing and I was, I sat down in the lobby and I was like, I'm not leaving this chair until you let me call my parents and you let me go home. Cause like, I'm, I went, when I was like reading through that website, I was like, Oh my God, all of these other people have had this like horrifying experience like me. And they're saying that it's not okay. It's probably not okay, and I've suspected that it's not okay for a while, but, like, when you're in a place where you are feeling vulnerable and broken and traumatized, you will listen to, if somebody is telling you that they have a solution to the way that you're feeling, you're going to grab onto that, and that mm. can, like, for some people, like, like ends up being places that are not actually very healthy, Um and, uh, yeah, and they tell you that that's the only way that you're ever going to feel okay again. And they t also tell you that if you ever leave or whatever, um, that you're going to, like, end up in jail or on the streets or, like, dead. So you're afraid. And you're like, well, I'm not dead yet, and I'm here, and these people tell me they care, so I guess they must care. But, yeah, they just wanted, they just wanted people's money. Um, oh, like, like, fuck. I mean, it's... it. Yeah. Oh. Like, I don't, I mean, you hear that, and I don't even know what the appropriate uh, sentence to say afterwards because that's just fucked. That's fucked up, like, it's beyond fucked. imagination. <laughs> Honestly, like, yeah. Uh, it's like, wow, that's fucked is a pretty, that's a pretty appropriate response. So, so you get, so obviously, you know, you get out, um, which, you know, everyone listening, thank fuck you did um, because, you know, We've seen movies, some people never get out of that kind of stuff. And we've seen documentaries, some some people never get out. Uh, thank, fuck, fuck oh, you, yeah. thank fuck you got free of that nightmare, um, yeah. to say the least. Um, so you get you get out of there and then is the next period of your life just about trying to get back on your feet and trying to create, you know, I put it in commas, a norm for yourself? Oh uh, yeah, honestly, kind of that that sums that up pretty well. Uh, yeah, I left and um, kind of wanted to get back on track with the whole like, okay, I want to go to school for theater. Um, 
and all that, uh, like music was still like super important to me. And actually, yeah, when I was there, they, they like take your fucking iPod. Um, and they wouldn't, you know, let you listen to shit because you're, if you're listening to any kind of music, I guess that isn't just like something that's on the radio. Spoiler though. I fucking love pop music. So that's not a, that's not a dig at pop music. Um, I absolutely love pop music. That's actually most of what I listen to nowadays. But, um, yeah, anything that was, like, mildly edgy or counterculture or not, you know, exactly, like, what is considered, you know, like, I don't know, very, very vanilla and normal mm-hmm. is, like, oh, you're acting out. You, like, that, which is one of the stupidest fucking things I've ever heard. Um, but, yeah, they would tell you that anything... Anything that you did was acting out. Oh, I read too many books. Oh, I'm acting out. Um, uh, I'm not straight. Oh, I'm acting out. Like, they'd say that there's no such thing as being, like, bisexual. Like, all kinds of shit. They were really fucked up. Um, But anyway, yeah, it was like I left, and my two primary things were I need to make sure that absolutely no matter what fucking happens, I never go back to that place. I will do anything to distance myself from that as much as possible. And then B, trying to figure out what is normal and like starting to deprogram some of like the more obvious stuff. Like I was afraid of wearing clothes that like fit (laughs) because they told you there that basically if you wore anything that remotely showed off your body at all, um, that you were, that you were acting out, you know, um, I'd say that if you wore, if you wear tight clothes, you're you're a sex addict. Um, which spoiler alert, sex addiction isn't fucking real. Um, so yeah, uh, there's a lot. I I have a lot of pretty aggressive opinions about like the normal rehab industry, which have nothing to do with this specific incident. This is all like shit that I've since like gone and found out for myself later. Is that a lot of the things that they teach in most rehabs are absolute complete bullshit. Um, and the way that our society as a whole treats, uh, people with like, like mental illness of any kind is, is totally fucked. Um, but yeah, so for me that was figuring out like, okay, how can I balance like still, like still being kind of brainwashed (laughs) by this place and like being afraid that if I was doing normal shit, like wanting to listen to a fucking, a Treyu record, um, that it didn't mean that I'm a terrible person and that I'm going to like die and end up on the streets. Um, so that took a little bit of time. I'd say that honestly, like I didn't start feeling like super comfortable, like embracing, um, like the music that I was like into probably for like another year after I got out. Um, but by then I was also starting to feel super fucking angry because I'd had this horrifying traumatic experience hadn't talked to anybody about it really because what do you tell how do you tell anyone about that also I was terrified of like even bringing it up because like I literally had this fucking paranoia that anything I did was going to end up with me having to go back so um I had to get enough space from that in order to start figuring out like who I was again and yeah, it was probably in like 2009 was when I started like going back to like going to shows and stuff again. I think the anger and how much time you took, fuck, you, you could have taken four years and that would have been okay. Um, and the anger, yeah. wow, I mean, I'm surprised you didn't start getting into like, you know, 
death metal or something really <laughs> aggressive because I think that would have been completely justified. Uh, yeah, right. Um, well, the thing that, like, my kind of, like, holy shit moment, like, with music, for me in that time, so I liked, like, when I was in high school, I liked a lot of, like, early 2000s, like, metalcore, like, like, Warped Tour metalcore. Like, I loved, like, From Autumn to Ashes, He is Legend, Atreyu, like, all that stuff, uh, like, Old Avenged Sevenfold. And it when I got out, uh, one of the first, like, real shows that I went to was to see Every Time I Die uh, mm. for the first time. And that, and that was, like, around, that was, like, uh, like, hot damn big dirty gutter phenomenon mm -hmm. era every time I die. So just like pure unadulterated chaos and fuck you attitude. And like, just that resonated with me <laughs> very much. <laughs> I was like, Oh, here are my feelings. <laughs> here's a room where here's a room where my expression of these feelings is accepted and allowed. And everyone else is doing the same. Exactly. That is literally Pretty much word for word, that is exactly how I've explained how that show felt to me. Like, walking in there and just the, like, the fucking utter chaos of that band and their shows was just like, it was like I felt like I could breathe for the first time in a long time. It was like I felt like I literally was walking around with, like, this fucking tension just inside me that I'm just holding on to. And there it was like the screaming in my head fucking stopped because it was like, it like canceled out. Like you can't have screaming inside and on the outside, like at the same time. And so it like that just like canceled out for me. And it was like the first time that I felt like relief from a lot of those feelings that I was carrying. So, and then that was kind of like, that was the, that was the fucking ball game for me. <laughs> I became just obsessed and that was my life with shows I went to we had a venue um in Baltimore called Sonar and they it was like three venues in one so they had shows like probably like three or four shows a week everything from like huge touring acts like of the time like Parkway Drive shit like that to like small local shows all of the metalcore and hardcore shows in the area 90% of them were at Sonar and I was there like three days a week I basically fucking lived at this place because going to like being at a show and moshing and like hardcore dancing, that was like my release for me. Um, I used to get like fucking fiendy when I couldn't get to a show. Like I would get like <laughs> just angry at shit. Seriously. Like it was like a fucking, like it was like a crack addict for like metalcore. And like, if I didn't go to a show for like a week, I was like, I like could tell I could like feel it in my body, like and the tension that I carried and just like the anger that I carried um, at the time. Well, it so. also probably made you feel, you know, you, you would have understandably felt a little bit lost, um, disjointed um, and confused at the time. And it also probably would have made you feel like there was somewhere where you could feel like you belonged and you did belong. Yeah. That was my, it was really interesting. I spent a large part of like my uh, early 20s being like, I I don't ever want to move from Baltimore because finding that community in metalcore and hardcore um, was the first time that I really, really felt like I belonged somewhere. Um, and that was a really big deal for me. 
So I've since realized that like, oh, I can get that feeling of belonging, you know, at a show anywhere. Um, it doesn't have to necessarily be in a specific location, but I pretty much was like, this is my fucking life and like dug into it like super hard. Um, and is that when yeah. you started deciding, you know, because you're getting this feeling of basically addiction to a live setting and to the music, is that when you start thinking, okay, I need to do this. This is what I want to do. Was it around that time you decided? Uh, no, because that wasn't a thing. Like, women didn't do that. Yeah, see, you beat me to a question I had there because um, <laughs> the question, question I was going to ask, because I'm in my late 30s. Yes, I'm, I'm an old fuck. Um, but I remember the... <laughs> the misogyny of the metal scene where um, a female was kind of in a band very rarely. And when it was, why wasn't she up front screaming her heart out or singing her heart out? Quite often they were just playing the keyboard or playing the bass. And that was pretty rare. And then you'd go to shows and the misogyny of the crowd was also revolting because people... Yeah in the crowd would just the whole time make rude, uh, you know, derogatory comments about the female who's up there just doing what she wants to do performance-wise. Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, I bought into that for a long time because, like, when you aren't hearing anything other than that, it's hard to, like, you know, deprogram yourself of that, like, you know, social brainwashing in a way. So yeah, I had a ton of internalized misogyny, like when I was like a teenager and in my early twenties, definitely had that whole wanting to be like, quote unquote, not like the other girls, like bullshit. Um, thank fucking God <laughs> I've graduated <laughs> from that toxic bullshit. Um, but so, like, for example, like, when I was in high school, like, wanted to, I had a couple friends who, like, were, they were doing, like, a, I don't know, like, a synthy post-hardcore band, and they needed a singer, and I wanted to try out to be their singer, and they were like, oh, no, 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 we don't want any girls in the band, and that, them saying, I mean, if somebody said that to me, like, right now, I would kick them in the fucking teeth because you're a piece of shit for saying that. Mm -hmm. But at the time in 2005, that was not a weird thing for someone to say. That was a very normal thing for someone to say. Um, so I didn't really think very much. I was like, obviously upset and disappointed, but it was more like upset and disappointed and frustrated that that was the status quo. Like, so, but it was like, what, what am I supposed to do about that? So frankly, I wasn't able to find a group of people who were like willing to let me like play heavy music with them until like virtually until Sharptooth. I was in a band before Sharptooth and we, we had like, we were mostly like a fucking pop punk easy core band. Um, and I sang and we had like a couple of heavier songs, um, and it's actually funny, that was the the first hardcore song I ever wrote was for that band, and it was about the it was about the cult. So hmm. I think it's fitting that the first thing that I felt like I could get on a stage and like scream about was that. So 
like kind of once I got like a taste of that and like was like okay there's clearly people who are like cool with me doing this here um and like I really like kept trying to push the band like heavier and heavier all the time um yeah but yeah it wasn't really until sharp tooth where I got to really flex like any of that um and when I joined sharp tooth I like we all were like pretty decided we're like yeah we want this to be like a like a heavier thing so we do, I just kind of took that and ran with it so yeah well, it's, it's that's that's how all that happened <laughs> it's quite it's quite a confusing um thing with the uh lack of opportunities um that I think women have always had within heavy music especially in the singing side of things that um the can the it's supposed to be anti establishment counterculture scene yet um having something within that scene that is not what everyone else had been doing for 30 40 years wasn't allowed even though that would be starting to create counterculture if that makes sense you know oh you know nobody has a female in their band let's get a female in the band um right like what's more punk than like going against what everyone else in your community is doing like um but I mean, part of the problem is that, like, more specifically hardcore um, is rooted, a lot of the culture is so rooted in, like, extremely toxic masculinity. Mm. Um, And that's, I mean, I fucking love metalcore and hardcore. So it's like, I, you know, I can see that and recognize that and still appreciate those genres for what they are. But it doesn't change the fact that, like, those places have been hostile to women for a really long time. Um, and it's actually really funny too, because I also think that the other side of the problem was that there be, well, because of that, there wasn't a lot of representation. So there weren't a lot of women in bands. So it's not like I could be like, look at somebody and go like, Oh, well she can do it. So can I, because really the only women that were like in popular bands in my scene at the time so like obviously i know that like arch enemy walls of jericho those were a thing so those bands came like kind of before like my like i don't want to say generation but like we missed me and everybody i knew like wasn't into those bands because they were like a little bit older so like we kind of missed them um so really the only band that was like you know, like playing warp tours and stuff that had like a woman in it then was heavy was I wrestled a bear once. Mm. And this is hilarious. So I don't remember how we were doing it. The other night, uh, my boyfriend put on a music video on like YouTube or whatever. I don't remember why that the context for this at all, but it was, and I wrestled a bear once music video and it was like the, most like kitschy it's just hilarious it was just like a a ridiculous hilarious music video with like really ridiculous like costumes and stuff like this band like obviously like doesn't take themselves seriously like that kind of a thing but that was the only woman I saw in heavy music and she didn't represent I didn't feel represented by her because here was like the one time I saw them live was at Warp Tour and she was wearing a Furby costume and was hammered drunk and I was like this is not uh, this person doesn't represent what I'm coming to metalcore or hardcore for. 
No, like, no, 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 no. Yeah. No. So, like, and like, and it sucks because it's like, she should absolutely be able to do all those fucking things because it's her fucking art. But because there wasn't a lot of representation, there weren't a lot of other women in metal and hardcore. Like, I didn't really feel like, I don't know, inspired to be like, oh, like I can do that. I was like, oh, that's not really my brand. Um, I'm going to go listen to Stick to Your Guns. Like, that's more my thing. But there weren't any women in that, like, part of metal and hardcore. It, like, seemed like basically the only way that, like, <laughs> like, I wrestled a bear once was able to, like, get away with, like, being big was the fact that they didn't really take themselves that seriously. So, like, they were kind of untouchable in that way. Like, no one's going to say, like, oh, they fucking suck. It's like, well, the girl's in a fucking Furby suit. Like, she doesn't give a shit what you think, you know? <laughs> um, so, yeah, the lack of representation, uh, I think, was a challenge uh, for a long time. Until, I I don't know, I got older and didn't give a shit. <laughs> you know, well, so. I think it's quite interesting, you know, and it is definitely something that when you were coming up would have been difficult, is the lack of... Um, influences and people to look up to and say, she's doing it, I can do it. And then does that now for yourself, because things are starting to, I don't think they're anywhere near where they should be, but they're slowly but surely baby steps. We're starting to see more and more within the heavy scene. Do you now see your position on stage and making music as a, you're now going to hopefully play to another 14-year-old girl in the crowd, and because she can see you do what you're doing, that she can go, that's what I want to do. Oh, absolutely. That's literally the, I think, honestly, at this point, that is my primary motivator for, like, continuing to, like, do music, is that there are, like, you know, little teenage, like, girls and femmes and queers and, like, kids who have never felt represented in heavy music, like, there's so much potential for like seeing any kind of representation can be so powerful. Um, one of the most like important tours that I think that we ever went on other than warp tour, because that was kind of the, my first like big experience with that, like, Holy shit, like teenagers, like these are the people who understand the things that we're talking about, who do feel like they're being represented by me and what we have to say. Um, that kind of got like amplified when we went on tour with a band called as it is. I don't know if you're familiar mm -hmm. with them. Uh, yeah. So they're like a, like pretty boy, like pop punk band from the UK and, um, their fans, like it was, so, it was just so funny every fucking night. Like <laughs> they, all these like adorable teenagers who've come to watch, uh, all these cute boys play pop punk and it's like, but you got to sit through my set first. <laughs> so I get on stage and there were two very important things that happened on that tour. The first of which was we had been on like a couple of fucking awful tours uh, before that, that like kind of were traumatic for me, especially regarding like getting on stage and talking about a lot of the sensitive stuff that I talk about. Um, and I was feeling pretty uh, jaded and disheartened uh, for music. And I felt like, I don't know, I wasn't feeling like that was as much of my place as it used to be. And then and like felt like I was being like eviscerated every fucking night having to get on stage and like talk about like really traumatic shit uh, to a hostile crowd <laughs> is mm -hmm. awful. 
Um, terrible experience, zero out of 10, don't recommend. Um, but the first night of that tour, I am standing in like the wing of the stage and the, and I'm about to go on and I look out in the crowd and it is just rows and rows of girls. And I like, I literally just started like sobbing because I was like, I'm going to be okay. Like, this is not, this tour is not going to be like those other tours. This is a safe place for me. Just like I'm trying to make this a safe place for them. And getting out in front of like so many young people and specifically young girls every night on that tour, like gave me new fucking life. Um, because it was clear that like these young people were, were like hungry for the stuff that we were talking about. And every night we'd have people say, I've never seen, I've never seen a girl scream before. I've never seen a girl on stage, like this kind of a show before. Like the need was so unbelievably apparent and like desperate from this community. It was like, holy shit, we like need you here that I was like, yeah, representation right now is like so much more important than like, than ever. So yeah, of course I'm going to keep fucking doing this. Now you mentioned in there, um, want to come back to the start of sharp tooth before I ask some other, um, things that definitely want to pick your brain about. And one is, um, you mentioned about screaming. So you kind of get the opportunity to front sharp tooth um, so this is a double part. How did you get part of the Sharp Tooth family? And then number two, what was your singing development like or screaming development like for you personally? Like how did you teach your instrument, which is your voice, to be abused mm-hmm. in a way that you can not only sing but also scream? Because it's not not everyone can do it and it's not easy to do. Yeah. Um, so for the first question, I, I joined Sharptooth when there were a couple of members of like the local Baltimore community that they approached me and they were like, Hey, we're in this band and we're looking for a vocalist and we know you and we know, like, we know you from the community. We know you from your old band and like, we would really love to have you do that if you're interested. And I pretty much was like, is it cool if I write (laughs) political shit and like super feminist shit they were like yeah yeah no no that's we that's there's a reason that we're asking you and I'm like okay cool so yeah we pretty much established that we wanted it to be uh very message driven and we also established that we wanted it to be heavy so that was how I came to be in sharp tooth and for as far as like screaming goes I started teaching myself to scream in high school um, like those long, long drives to school, uh, every day you're sitting in the car for half an hour and just trying to emulate a lot of the vocalists that I listen to, uh, specifically, uh, Atreyu was a big one for me learning how to scream. Um, Alex Varcastus has very, has like very good fry screaming technique. And just in trying to emulate the sounds he was making, I got a couple of things right, uh, which is very cool. And so I was able to kind of build off of that. I feel like everybody I knew had heard of uh, like the DVDs called the Zen of screaming by Mm -hmm. Melissa cross. And so I was familiar with those and like with some of their like techniques. And so that's how I kind of started like learning how to scream in a way that wasn't fucking terrible for me. And I 
expanded on that by just going and getting a voice lesson with her. And she, like, complete. I'd already, like, I mean, I've been, like, taking private lessons and singing for 12 years. So I knew, like, what felt right. I'd already had a lot of experience with, like, being very familiar with my voice, how sounds feel, how to replicate a sound based on the way that it feels, that kind of a thing, um, how to properly support sounds, how to stop when things are getting, like, when I'm basically putting too much pressure, like, on my on my vocal folds, like, basically learning, like, when to hold them and when to fold them. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I went to Melissa, she taught me a lot of really great techniques for basically, uh, the, in the vocal world, we call it placement. Mm-hmm. So that's basically being able to replicate a sound based on the feeling that it gives you physically in your, in your, your mouth, your face, your throat, like your whole body, um, so, and the stuff that she taught me, I mean, she's so good at like figuring out exactly what a person needs and like doing it in a really short amount of time. And so, yeah, I did that one lesson and did like all of the stuff that basically like she told me to do like for warm ups and stuff. And that was the way that I was able to like hone in on screaming in like a very healthy way. Like when I first started, like also, worth bearing in mind when I first joined shark tooth, I was still a smoker. Uh, I'd smoked for like almost 15 years. Um, so I like, we went on like our first tour and we were like getting ready for it. And I was like, I have to quit this because I'm not going to be able to get through like two weeks of touring. I'm just not, I could barely get through three shows like with my voice intact. And it was because of my smoking. And when I quit, it was like night and day. Like it was, I was able to do so much more vocally, like my stamina, like over the course of a week, two weeks, whatever improved dramatically. So that was kind of like the first thing for me was quit smoking. And if there's other vocalists out there, fucking quit smoking. Um, and the, yeah. And the other thing was just working with Melissa. Like now I can do a month long tour with like, no, with like, I would say at a maximum, I can come out of the tour, like feeling like 75% as good as when I started it. So, mm-hmm. which is incredible because, and like, that'll be like, I mean, I did warp tour and I was on warp tour for two months and I managed, I screamed every fucking day and I was okay. So like I never would have been able to do that before. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Love, love, love the, um, love the screams because, you know, I love that the, the women in the scene, that that everyone sounds different. Um, sorry to say guys, yeah. but a lot of you sound the same, you know, it kind of, right? It it's, you hear one guy in the hardcore scene, and then you hear the next band and you go, is that the same guy? Like sounds fucking right. Like, um, there's actual. Those pl- are the same fucking people who will be like, oh, but like all girls sound the same. I'm like, no. Okay, but no. <laughs> sit down, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> go go back to your corner. Um, right. You mentioned in there when you joined Sharp Tooth, you know that were they okay with you getting um having the writing and having a message? Was that something that? Um, obviously you had to ask because you'd been denied that. It was something that people said, no, you know, 
we're not going to allow that? Or was it something that had happened in the previous band? <laughs> kind of. Um, there were things that, like, in my previous band, I wouldn't have felt, like, emotionally comfortable writing about um, just because of, like, the people that I was with. Like, I didn't, like, we had, like, some, like, member changes and, like, that kind of thing. And so, like, when you don't know people, like, too well, you don't necessarily know what they're going to be comfortable with you talking about. Mm -hmm. um, they're... And also, we, we'd we had an old member in that band, uh, not, this is fucking hilarious, he, we did a, we did a lot of covers, uh, I like to joke that we were uh, Baltimore's best emo cover band <laughs> for a couple of years, uh, we had original songs, but like, honestly, I think that people only gave a shit about us, mostly for our covers, um, which were good, anyway, <laughs> so we wanted to cover um face down by red jumpsuit apparatus which is a song about uh like domestic violence and this old member uh basically threatened to quit the band if we covered that song what he was like i don't know if we should be taking a stand like that i'm like a stand against domestic violence is that oh. controversial to anyone like <laughs> i was like i'm sorry what <laughs> uh. do you think that's you think they like singing a song that is not even writing a song about it. Sing just covering a song that is very popular and is on the radio. You don't want to cover it because it's about domestic violence. Um, turned out that this dude was like unbelievably fucking problematic in a lot of his interactions with women. So like in hindsight, it totally made sense that he was like sketched out by being associated with anyone making a stand against uh, treating women like shit because he did all the time so um yeah so like that was a whole thing that we basically that guy left the band because he didn't want to cover <laughs> face down by the red jumpsuit apparatus oh. which is hilarious isn't that like isn't that wild that's people are fucking nuts that's fucking insane <laughs> like i mean i know you want to stand up for something um that's not what you should you know put your foot down about that's not something you should be like hey i'm taking a stand against this this of all yeah. things really of all things to be like whoa 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 guys i don't know if we should if we should be making a statement about that it's like what um. <laughs> this isn't even like, controversial i think that everybody like i think that i would say 99 percent of people soundly agree yeah domestic violence is fucked like <laughs> well he was feel that way about a lot I talk about in Sharp Tooth now, though, so that I don't think that a lot of the stuff we talk about is that controversial. Um, no, and I think and he I was think obviously a, a 0.1% that thought, you know, yeah, this wasn't, you know, not even a 1%. He's just, that's just, that's just fucked. Oh, seriously, yeah. some people, you just, you hear this kind of stuff and you just go, um, really? Like, I think, I think you should be someone that should stop, uh, you know, breeding. Definitely. Don't breathe. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like weird hill to die on. <laughs> like Ooh. this is the it's like this is the stand you're taking is against people being against domestic Okay. <laughs> All right, buddy. <laughs> anyway, uh, he was not in the band much longer <laughs> after that. But yeah, they're definitely there I definitely felt reason to qualify that with people. Be like, hey, just so you're aware. Might talk about some shit that I don't know. People might might rustle some jimmies, and they were like, <laughs> "Rustle away." <laughs> so, so you you come in. It's round two thousand fourteen, and 
Um, what were your initial expectations and goals with joining the band? Was it literally just about playing as many shows as possible, or were you are you a dreamer? Did you have bigger aspirations? You know about touring um, and getting signed and those kind of things. Um, getting signed was way too big of an aspiration uh, for me. It was like literally a thing that like. I would like people would always be like, Oh, you're living the dream. I'm like, this wasn't like my dream. Like this wasn't like a, an ambitious pursuit of mine music in, in none of my bands. And I'd been in two other bands before sharp tooth. I just wanted to be performing in some degree. Um, at that time I had, uh, starting pursuing a, I'd, I'd abandoned my pursuit of a musical theater degree because I was like, I didn't like the school I was at and I didn't like the program I was in. And I also was kind of like, what the fuck am I going to do with a musical theater degree? Um, and I was like, I can do music and theater whenever I want. Mm-hmm. I was like, but I should probably get a degree in something that has like a job market. Um, and I've always been very passionate about animals. So I started pursuing a degree in zoology. So basically it would be like, I, yeah, I was going to college for zoology and then would play shows on the weekends. And like, I was pretty happy with that for a long time. Now in Shark Tooth was when they started being like, well, we really want to tour. I was like, well, I never even thought about that. <laughs> like, okay, cool. Like, and they were like super serious about it. And they, and they also, they had a vehicle. That was a big deal. Um, like, and any of the other bands that I'd ever been in, we never had a vehicle. So that like was never a thing that was on the table it was a show up and play the local show type of thing um but sharp tooth had we had our little we had we call her nikki and she's our little like mobility bus that is like has been modded out to be somewhat livable of a space and uh so it was like oh we can go places that aren't maryland and play shows and like some of our first shows that i ever played with them were out of state and so that kind of like was like a oh, big like it like opened up my world definitely. And, uh, then I was like, Oh, this is possible. Yeah. We can totally start doing like weekender type of things. And so we did, I mean, everybody in the band was like expatriates of a lot of other bands and like a lot of other bands that had toured pretty seriously. So they were very much used to that. And, um, I was the newbie, but like, since they were very seasoned in that regard, I was like, yeah, okay, this is, this actually seems like a doable thing. Were, um, were the weekenders and kind of shows early on, um, difficult for the band to get momentum or were you guys able to garner some momentum early on? Because being in a band in the early stages, um, especially after lineup changes, there would have been yeah. some feeling out, not only between yourselves, but obviously with audiences, because sickingly you mentioned earlier about the crap that you'd gained in previous tours. But what I'm saying is like, what was it like for you guys early on? Did you find it easy to get shows or hard to get shows? We had a pretty easy time getting shows since all of us, I mean, especially like in Maryland, because all of us had been involved in the music scene there in to some degree for a long time. And a lot of, the people in the band had come from like fairly well respected, like other groups. Um, so getting local shows was pretty easy and 
those dudes just had a lot of fucking contacts. So like, it really wasn't that hard. And we kind of found little like other music scenes outside of Maryland that like we became super passionate about, um, and like played at very frequently, like out of state, which was awesome. Um, like places in like Pennsylvania and shit. So like that made the whole, like, Oh, like we can play shows in other places and people will listen and like us like that made that like way less of a not like doable thing. Did you, do you guys find in your early years, you know, if it's, um, if you're a band that's unknown on the bill or if you're playing outside your, you know, Baltimore scene, are you finding that you have to win over crowds? And then also it's an unfortunate thing, but the question also, did you have to try and win over crowds? And I hate having to even ask uh, that because that's a, you know, I shouldn't have to. Right. So th- it's kind of funny. We, yes, like right out the gate, like we knew that we were going to have to work twice as hard uh, to get half as far. Um, but I've always like, I've been doing performing arts since I was like a fucking like kid. So the grind of making sure your shit is good and putting on a good show, um, that came very naturally to me. So for me, half the fun was basically like, you have no idea who we are. You probably have a lot of like whatever ideas or conceptions about us because I'm a woman or whatever. And I'm going to fucking knock your socks off and you're going to deal with it (laughs) because like, I don't know, like I'm like, like not trying to gas myself up, but it's like, I am like, I can work a crowd and I'm very comfortable being in front of large numbers of people and talking to large numbers of people and interacting with people in that way. Um, so that has always, that aspect has always come pretty easy for me. Um, and so we had a thing that we would always like joke about. We call it the room flip. Um, And it's like our favorite, like one of our favorite things about playing shows where people don't know us is getting on stage and like being able to look out of the crowd and seeing them go, well, what the fuck is about to happen here? Or like seeing guys who are like obviously being judgy of the fact that it's like, oh, this little girl just walked out on stage. Um, And then we start playing and I open my mouth and just watching people's faces change is that's my kink. I don't like, I don't know. <laughs> I fucking love, I just love watching people's like <laughs> reactions. And then the best part is like people's reactions at the start of the show. And then by the end of the show, people are usually like, what the fuck is happening at the beginning? And then by the end, they were like, we're here for this. And like, so that's like my favorite thing ever is like winning over a crowd. I mean, like we got put on, I mean, when we did warp tour, we had one record out and had been doing big kid touring, like with major bands for less than six months. (laughs) Like we went on warp tour in June and we, our first like big tour had been that January uh, with anti-flag. So we were very used to getting in front of a bunch of people who did not know who the fuck we were. And now we were getting in front of a massive number of people who did not know who the fuck we were and yeah and basically having to make people give a shit about us especially like we were a we were put on like a major stage 
on like one of our first tours ever. Like God bless Kevin Lyman for believing in us like that. Um, because that was really unprecedented. Uh, we never had an expectation of like playing on like, um, you know, one of the monster stages, which were like the main metal and hardcore stages. Um, we actually were supposed to originally play on the Ernie Ball stage, and we were, like, thrilled about that. And then we got a call, like, two weeks later, like, just kidding. Uh, you're on the whole tour, and it's on the Monster stage. Deal with it. <laughs> so we were just like, oh, God. <laughs> we are like, the tiniest fish in a giant fucking pond of huge fish that we've worshipped for our whole lives. Okay, let's figure this out. <laughs> so, yeah, super intimidating, but, like, I, like... I am confident in my abilities as a performer and as a public speaker and as a vocalist. So that it was like intimidating, but I loved that challenge. That was fucking awesome for me. So one of the, one of the things that I think definitely catapulted you guys to kind of where you guys sit now, which I think, you know, I know within my hardcore circle, which isn't that big because I'm old as fuck, but if I mention <laughs> if I mention Sharp Tooth, people know the name, and one one of the reasons for that is is the label that you guys got on or part of mm-hmm. Pure Noise, because I know I'm yep. someone I follow labels, um, and Pure yeah. Noise are one of my labels. How did that link up happen? Did you approach them? Did they approach you? And did joining a label put any extra nerves and pressure on you? Um. So the the Pure Noise and Us story is kind of funny. Um, I was very good friends with, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the the band Vanna. They mm-hmm. were yep. pretty big. Davey. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I was like pretty good friends with Davey and he was talking about like starting to manage bands. And so he was talking, like him and I were talking about it, like, and basically in that same conversation uh, where he was like, hey, would you like maybe?" He's like, this is a thing that I'm thinking of doing. Would you maybe be interested in doing that? And I was like, yeah, that could be cool. We'd never like our only experience with like, quote unquote, management was like uh, this one guy who basically like swindled people. <laughs> like It was terrible. Um, so I did everything myself up until that point. So like the, the thought of having like another person to help me, um, with like contacts and booking things like was very appealing. So yeah, when he suggested like us working together, I was like, yeah, absolutely. And then he hit up, it was funny. Cause he was like, uh, can you send me your record? Which we'd already put out like several months we put out like maybe six months prior to this um just ourselves we just released it like a self-release type of thing and he was like can you send me like all the files for the record so I did and then he was like do you mind if I send this to people didn't tell me who and I was like fuck yeah like do what I do whatever the fuck you want with it I don't give a shit um and one of the people that he apparently sent it to was Jake, uh, the owner of Pure Noise Records, and Jake immediately was like, don't send this to anyone else, to him. Hmm. So, um, and then within, I don't know, within like a month, uh, we had officially like signed contracts and all that good stuff, and then we had to wait for like fucking five or six months to get to announce, which was the most frustrating experience ever because you're like oh my god we have shit we want to tell you all but we can't 
for five months. Um, yeah, until we were able to announce and then, yeah, and then release the record on Pure Noise. Um, so yeah, they've always been, Pure Noise has always been super like supportive of us and like our, like our thing and what we do. So that release, um, uh, Clever Girl, I mean, just wow, um, I think is. Thank you. I think is a polite way of saying fucking epic. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> I I really appreciate that, especially because, like, that is the first time I'd ever written a full-length record. Um, and, like, some of those songs were some of the first songs I ever wrote in Sharp Tooth. And so, yeah, that means a lot. So thank you. Yeah, and it's, it's the kind of release that um, you straight away put your foot down on the map of the scene saying I've got something to say and you're going to all sit here and listen to it. Um, and it's something yeah. important to say was writing that album difficult for you to do, or was it cathartic for you to do? It was definitely, it was, it was challenging in that I had to basically figure out ways to talk about a bunch of things that I had never talked about in music before and also I was like hyper aware that like as a woman in a spotlight anything I say or do is going to be like picked apart so I like was specifically writing to make sure that my point and everything was as explicit and as clear as possible because people you know people will try to misconstrue anything that you fucking say um and I was so hyper cognizant of that and like somewhat terrified, uh, basically of being misinterpreted, um, by people. So that was super challenging in and of itself. And yeah. And then like, I don't know, realizing that it's going to, that like more people like, so we didn't write that with the intention of like getting signed or anything like that. So it was just like, this is a record we wrote and someone happened to really like it. So I didn't really get to like, I didn't have the chance to like write it for like, I don't know anything other than the sake of writing it, which I think is probably a good thing at the time. So. Well, the reason yeah. I love it is because, you know, the musical side of things is exactly what I like. It's got the energy. It's got the chaotic side of things that I am into. Yeah. And then you take the, the lyrics and the message and it is pushing the boundaries. It's breaking the norms. It's asking you to think about what you know, ask you to think about what you believe in, um, and want you to question yourself and question your environment, which I think um, not only when it was released, but especially now is very important. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, especially like it was crazy writing about like some of those things, like some of those things are things that like, you know, get talked about like fairly often, um, like in social discourse nowadays, um, so like, for example, nowadays it is not uncommon for people to discuss like sexual violence and be like at least somewhat open about like their experiences with that. Um, when I wrote uh, like one of the songs on their left for dead, when I wrote that, um, it was, it, yeah, it was in like 2014 and that wasn't a thing people talked about. Um, I'd only ever heard one other band talk about it and that was war on women, uh, who are like very sort of niche feminist hardcore punk band. Mm -hmm. So I was not a thing that I'd heard anybody in on the metal realm talking about at all. Um, so 
that was like a very, a very big deal was like, Oh God, this stuff's going to be in front of a lot of people. Like, okay, this is fine. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure, no pressure, no pressure. Yeah. Right. (laughs) But I think that I don't know. It's interesting because like I think about it and I'm like, I don't know. So like if we gotten signed before I wrote that record, I, it probably would have pushed like things in like different, like a different way. But like so many of those songs were written just for me in the experience of writing that song. Like that was what I needed at the time to do as an artist. So yeah, it's interesting. It's, there's a big difference. <laughs> I've learned uh, writing with basically writing, being on a label with the expectations and preconceived notions that people are going to have of you and being prepared to release a record as opposed to just writing a record for the sake of writing it and for the sake of art. Um, it's two very different experiences. Well, I also so. think it was an, it's an important release for you guys because um, if, and this is a compliment, is if you lyrically had just done what everyone else does and i'm not saying that's bad what they do but if it had just been samey as in uh talking about um romances and things like this you know what normal people sing about unless you're man o' war and you sing about the battles that are forthcoming um (laughs) so you know the fact that your message went down a certain way i think was important because it also gave you a chance to um, stand out above the rest of the pack. Instead of just being called another hardcore band, you're a hardcore band with a message. Yeah. A socio-political hardcore band or a feminist hardcore band. That's generally what people would would label us as like at the time. Um, what about the labeling? Is it something that do you struggle with those labels? Do you not want those labels? Do you want people to just give it a go and make their own decision? Um, I mean, I would love that. I would love for, (laughs) it's hard because it's like, it's like, what a nice thing it would be if everyone's art could just exist in a vacuum and just be taken for what it is. Um, but things are always going to be, uh, received in different ways, depending on like the times. So I don't like, I, I'm cool with people calling us like a, like a feminist, like band or whatever. Um, or like sociopolitical probably is more, if I had to like pick a, if I had to pick a label, um, I would say like sociopolitical, but like also, I mean, that totally kind of depends on what you listen to. So like Clever Girl was very, um, it took a lot of Uh, it basically took a microscope to a lot of things going on in our specific society. Mm -hmm. Um, The, the record that we are sitting on right now um, is took more of a microscope uh, to myself personally. Um, So it's like, we're always going to be political and I'm always like, no matter what a fucking song is about, I'm going to find some way to like talk about it in a way that is, intended to reach people and intended to connect with people and what they're going through. Um, even if it is like a super personal song. Uh, so yeah, like sociopolitical band, I'm totally fine with that. Um, there's the whole like weird, like the whole weirdness of like the, like, like calling a band like female fronted and like female fronted isn't a genre. Like, yes, it's not a genre. Um, but then on the other hand, representation is important. So 
yeah. Uh, long story short, nothing is fucking black and white. And sometimes there are certain labels that are specifically helpful to us in being able to reach our target audience. And then I think that sometimes some of those labels might I probably, like, I don't know, cause people to not want to listen to us or to make a, make a judgment about us without listening to us, um, and decide who we are. <laughs> people are going to, people are going to do what they do and think what they think. And all I can kind of do is just try to be my best me and try to put that out there in our music as, as well as I can. <laughs> so it, it labels a weird now. One of the things before we wrap up that you mentioned in there um, is possibility of new music or sitting on new music because people listening, um, whether you know or not, last year you guys released Mean Brain um, and Die for the Government. Um, So why was that just kind of to give people a taste to time over because Clever Girl was 2017, so... So we finished recording the record um, a year ago, basically, um, April of 2019. Uh, We finished everything. So uh, long story short is like we've been like basically trying to find like the right tour to like do a release tour on. And so that has taken a lot of time. especially when you are considered a quote unquote, like controversial band, which I don't particularly think that many of the things we talk about are controversial. Mm -hmm. Um, but some other people do. So we're sometimes a harder sell. Um, also like I have personally, like we've gotten tour offers that I've said, I'm not doing that tour. Um, because I did not think that it would be conducive to our message or to our audience or like our fans. Like I, there have been tour offers we've gotten that I've turned down because, um, I didn't think that it was the, that I didn't think it was the right thing for us. And I'm not going to sacrifice the integrity of who we are and what we do just to get on the road. I'm not about that life. Mm. So for me, especially like with this release, like it was very important for us to be doing it on our terms. So that's contributed to some of the weight. And, um, we, (laughs) we were hoping to get to potentially release in the spring. So we're like kind of right now we're like in limbo because our record label is essentially like shut down right now because of everything that's going on with coronavirus. So we're basically like, (laughs) we'd finally gotten, like potential release dates. We'd finally recorded like this single music video, um, that we were going to use to, uh, release it, like announce everything on. And now it's like, and we all just got to sit here and wait now because, uh, never mind. <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So after waiting for literally a year and then being like, finally, this is it. It's going to come out here and we're going to put this out. It was like, and never mind. So that has been what's going on right now. So yeah, I'm super hoping for a release sometime in the spring or the summer. Um, I would be shocked if, if it was after the summer. So yes, we have a full ass album. We have a music video that I cannot wait for people to see. I am so fucking proud of it. (laughs) It's wild. And, uh, 
curious to see who gets pissed off by it, which will also be fun. I used to, it's funny, because I used to, I don't know, think, A, we're not doing anything particularly controversial. I don't know why the fuck you're mad about a lot of the shit we talk about. Um, I also used to really care if people liked me, Hmm. and now I don't. Like... Not nearly as much as I did before. Now I'm just kind of like, who's going to be mad? How funny is it going to be? I'm ready. I've seen all y'all's dumb shit. I'm fucking used to it by now. Y'all can't scare me. So, yeah, that's, I'm very excited. I'm like, man, who are we going to piss off? Can't wait. Well, that's got to be the fun of it. Throw, You know, just get a dartboard and throw it and go, right, we're going to piss them off this week. Right. <laughs> See, it was, it used to be because I cared so much about like so like any of the people that like I would be potentially pissing off I used to just care so much about like their opinions of me or if they perceived me as like a nice person or anything like that and I just don't fucking give a shit if people think I'm nice anymore um because it doesn't fucking matter what you say or do there's always going to be people who have a problem with you or are going to talk shit anyway so I'm just like fuck you I'm going to do me and I'm going to do me so fucking hard which sounds terrible out of context, but that's fine. Um, yeah, but that's part of it's part of getting older. Like the older you get, the more you don't give a shit of what other people oh, think. Yeah. It's just what happens because it's so God, it's so much more fun to not give a shit. Yeah, it's so much so liberating. I found the older I get, the more I don't like people in general. I'm like, ah, <laughs> uh, I do. I still like. I'm super an extrovert, and I love people very much. Um. But I have, like, very much come to realize that, like, the people, it's like that old, like, Dr. Seuss, like, quote that, like, those who, those who mind don't matter and those who matter won't mind. And, like, mm. it's it's taken me till my 30s to fully internalize that. Because, yeah, I used to always, have, I mean, I don't know if I, like, came off like a fuck you, I don't care what you think, like, type type of person. But, like. I've never really been like that. I've super cared what people think. And like, there are things that like people don't get to have an opinion on about me because I'm like, I know me and I know I'm good at a thing. So fuck you, whatever. And now I'm just kind of like, that started to spread out to other areas of my life is like, yeah, um, I'm clean. My, my side of the street is clean as shit. So if you don't like me, that's on you. Like, whatever. I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, now, we have absolutely smashed this. We've gone over time, but um, I have to do what I do with everyone, and that's finish on the same note. So what we do is a little thing called pick your poison. Now, for some okay. reason, uh, some people, you know, they've just listened through all of this uh, just to get to this part, which I'm, you know... Yeah. Uh, basically, we're going to find out what makes you tick. Uh, what happens oh. is I give you two options, and you pick your favorite of the two. Now, some are going to be easy, some are going to be hard, but they're food-related, music-related, and movie-related. I have seen not a lot of movies. <laughs> yeah, look, the movies and music ones I'm going to make very generalized. They're going to be like big-name things, not very, not very niche. Okay, great. Good, because... Yeah. Okay. Then, then, then I can hang. Let's go. <laughs> okay. Now, would you rather have a pizza or a burger? Uh, pizza, cause I'm vegetarian. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, risotto or pasta? Oh shit! I gotta I gotta do risotto because of the the cream aspect. Any high fat foods are my shit. So yeah, risotto. <laughs> um, Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? Indian, like without a doubt. Oh my god. The worst, one of the, honestly, one of the worst things about this past week of being on coronavirus lockdown is not being able to have Indian food like three times a week. Um, So, yeah. Soft taco or crunchy taco? Soft taco. Uh, Smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? Oh, context. It's context very matters. Uh, Crunchy for just snacking, like with a spoon. Um, smooth for a sandwich. Okay. Uh, coffee or tea person? Um, I love both, honestly. Um. Well, how do you start your day? Coffee or a tea? I start my day with coffee, but I often end my day with tea. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. would you rather cook at home or dine out? Um, usually cook at home. I'm pretty passionate about cooking. Oh. A new movie's come out and you really want to see it. Are you going to wait to watch it at home or are you going to go to the cinema? Oh, it depends. Um, I will probably, if so, like if it's a new Jurassic Park movie, I will go to the movies and watch it. (laughs) Oh, yes. Jurassic Park. Yeah. This one will be an interesting one. Uh, Would you rather spend the day at the beach or at the snow? Oh, beach. Oh, I'm a summer baby. I want to be outside wearing as little as possible, surrounded by tropical creatures. That's my shit. <laughs> now, the next one I already know the answer of, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Cat or dog? Dogs, of course. <laughs> Trick question. Birds. No. <laughs> but yeah. Dogs. Giraffe. Um, Star, <laughs> Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars, my boyfriend um, just recently, actually, so I'd seen all the new ones in theaters. Um, I had never seen any of the old Star Wars. Like, I'm talking, except for Revenge of the Sith, which, like, come on, I can't, like, that doesn't even count. Um, So he is a huge Star Wars fan, and we sat down and we watched all of them together, and I fucking love them all. So, yeah, Star Wars all the way. Uh, South Park or Simpsons? Ooh, South Park. I was a South Park kid. Would you rather have Sly Stallone go into battle for you or Arnold Schwarzenegger? I gotta say Arnold because I just because I just because I just hear in my head get to the chopper and I'm like, yeah, I gotta go with him. <laughs> so now a couple of <laughs> couple of music ones. We'll try and keep it to kind of nineties based. Um, NWA or Wu Tang? Oh, God, why did you do that? Oh, I, I mean, I got it. I got to go. Oh, that's hard. Why have you done this? <laughs> Told you it might break you. <clears throat> oh, my God. NWA. I'm, I'm, yeah, I, okay, next one. Don't, I don't want to think about it anymore. <laughs> I don't want to think that I had to make that decision. Okay, we're going to step to the next one, which possibly might still continue the agony. Um, no. Tupac or Biggie? Biggie. That's not even, that's not hard. Wow. <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that, and that one's not hard for me. Um, I've always been like, uh, like East Coast hip hop and R&B um, from that era was very much my thing. I, 
know almost every single word to all of Biggie's hits and a lot of his not hits. Um, I think <laughs> back when I would like was able to leave the house many, many moons ago, um, <laughs> and <laughs> I would listen to to either Juicy or Hypnotized at least once a day. Ooh. At least once a day. I have a problem. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think you that's something you need to look look into. That's uh I know. Yeah. That's addiction <laughs> right there. Um <laughs> Corn or Limp Biscuit? Neither. I never got into new metal. Hey, that hey, that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. Motley Crue or Van Halen? Van Halen. I don't have a strong opinion about either. Okay. But I'll go with Van Halen. Um now we've got the last few you're playing a show. Do you want mic grabs going on or stage dives? Um, ooh, a little bit of both. Honestly, mostly stage dives because I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not super comfortable with people taking my microphone away from me. <laughs> um, I think, okay, so like, oof. I'm sorry if this upsets anybody. Um, so I've had a lot of... Um, I, you know, we were in a band and play shows out. And so people sometimes want to do guest vocals. And a lot of times guys will ask me to do guest vocals on Clever Girl. And I'm like, no, no, men do not get to do guest vocals on the song where I'm telling men to sit down and shut up. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, but if it's like, if it's just like big femme energy, like, like whole bunch of fucking girls want that goddamn mic. Like I'm here for that shit. So like, yeah, maybe that's controversial and but like, you know, there's there is a place for every single man at every single metalcore and hardcore show for them to get the mic. Um there that place doesn't exist for for most young women. So I will objectively favor them if they, I'm like, you don't get a chance to scream ever. So this is your fucking chance. So hey. I'm here for that. Hey, I like that answer. So. Um, I like that. Answer. Thank you. Um, you're going to go to a show uh, to watch it. Are you going to watch from the pit or are you going to watch from the sound desk? Um, it depends on the show. If it's like, if up until like fairly recently, I'm, I'm a pit person. Like I <laughs> ascribe to the title of Mosh Warrior for a significant <laughs> part of my twenties. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm a I'm I'm a pit person. I, in my my later years, I'm a little bit more picky and choosy about when I do that. But yeah, so I'll go with pit. Okay, second last one. Now they they go hand in hand, and you technically can't have one without the other. But would you rather tour for the rest of your life or record for the rest of your life? Um, I'm gonna go with record because just for me, like. When you're on the right tour, it is like, that's an experience like nothing else. But touring is hard for me, like mentally and emotionally, um, especially in the last year, just because like, I think like I was dealing with like a lot of like mental health shit that was really difficult and the lack of routine that comes with like the lack of like stability that comes with touring um, was very hard for me, um, hoping that that will improve with like this new record coming out and like new fans, new, especially now that I'm like being pretty hardcore about which tours we take and which tours we don't take. 
Um, I'm hoping that that will be a more positive experience with, for me, but like I can put me in front of a microphone and I'll sing all day. Like I'm very happy with that. So, um, now last one, I'm going to give you your favorite album of all time. Do you want it on CD vinyl or do you want it on your phone? It's the only one that's a triple one. Mm. I got to say my phone. Um, mm. Like, it's interesting because, so I think like my, my favorite record of all time is Diamond by Stick to Your Guns. Mm. And I have it on CD and I have it on vinyl. I don't have things on vinyl because I don't have a record player. I never got into vinyl. wasn't ever my thing. I totally get why people like it. I just never... Um, but I mostly listen to music in my car, so I don't have a CD player anymore. Uh, so phone, phone's the way to go. If I want to be consuming that record as much as humanly possible, it's got to be on my phone. Well, we have smashed that. Um, but, uh, just thank you again. Um, means the world. Um, and you're a legend and keep doing what you're doing. Oh, God. Thank you. I appreciate you. And this was fucking fun as hell. And I, this like, yeah, totally made my day and made having to be in captivity, uh, way better. So thank you so much for reaching out and for that. We got to do this. I'm really stoked on it. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Guess I'll go. We won't.
So that was my chat with Lauren of Sharptooth. At the end there, you heard the band's track Mean Brain, which is a standalone single that came out last year. You also heard the band's track Clever Girl, Fuck You Donald Trump, and No Sanctuary. Those three tracks come from the band's most recent album, Clever Girl. Now's the part of the show where I spark that little bit inside you, ignite that thing inside you to get out and support the band and the artist that's been on the show. So if you enjoyed the conversation or you enjoyed the music, make sure you get online and stream and download that music. Get into it, enjoy it. If you like physical copies, get onto eBay, get onto Sharptooth's website and grab a physical copy. If you enjoy merch, get some of that as well. I'm sure you can find it on their website, maybe also on eBay. Since there is no tours going on at the moment because of everything that's going on, things like streaming, purchasing of physical copies and merchandise are essential for helping bands keep going. I've also got to take this moment to thank Lauren again. Thank you so very, very, very much for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Look forward to touching base with you again soon and doing a part two. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 112 done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget... You can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the purse.